2: Today, the title of our show is "Living Well with Migraine," and our guest is Dr. Dawn Buse. She is a director of behavioral medicine for the Montefiore Headache Center and associate professor of neurology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Dr. Buse was my guest a number of times on an earlier radio show on the Casozo Network. I asked her to join us today on Psych Up Live because I knew that if anybody would know the latest in understanding, treating, and living with migraine, it would be Dr. Buse. In addition to being the Director of Behavioral Medicine at the Montefiore Headache Center, Dr. Buse is an award-winning researcher, and she recently is the co-investigator on the American Migraine Prevalence and Prevention Study and the Chronic Migraine Epidemiology and Outcome, the CAMEO study. And she'll be drawing upon those today. Dr. Donbuse, it is my pleasure to welcome you back this time to Psych Up Live.
3: Thank you, Suzanne. I'm so happy to be
2: here. Okay, Dr. Buse, let's start with defining
3: migraine and are there different types? Sure. So migraine is a chronic disease and someone who has migraine has a very reactive, hyperactive nervous system. So their their nervous system responds to changes in the environment, both externally or internally. Migraine tends to run in families. It has a genetic predisposition. So if you have one parent with migraine, you have a 50% chance of having it, and two parents gives you a 75% chance. In terms okay. of types of migraine... We divide by the number of headache days per month. So if you have 15 or more headache days per month with a migraine diagnosis, we call that chronic migraine, and 14 or fewer, we call that episodic migraine. And the other way that we tend to divide migraine is with or without aura. And aura is an experience that some people have before the headache starts where they either see or unusual symptoms. You might see wavy or jagged lines on the corners of your visual field. You might actually not be able to see part of your visual field, you may have splotches or, or something else unusual that you see, or you might feel something different, a numbness or tingling on one half of your body, or even um, unusual smells or sounds. So that's an aura. So we'll talk about people with migraine with or without aura. And to give you a little bit more in-depth into migraine, migraine is the experience of usually a moderate or severe headache as well as some other symptom, symptoms like extreme sensitivity to bright lights and loud sounds and often accompanied by nausea and sometimes even with vomiting. So migraine is not just the headache, it's actually a constellation of several symptoms which make it very hard to function, and when you're having a migraine attack, it can actually last up to a couple days when you add all the phases, the prodrome, the aura, the headache phase, and then the postdrome So you've got time before and after the headache phase that you also feel different symptoms like fatigue and irritability and other types of symptoms. So that's in a nutshell what a migraine attack is.
2: Well, wow. So it really involves chronic suffering. It's really quite a bit of suffering for anybody faced with this. How prevalent is migraine?
3: So migraine is very prevalent. In fact, about one in five households is going to have some with migraine, or about 40 million people in the U.S., or about 1 billion people around the world actually meet criteria for migraine. So it's most common in adults, and about 18% of adult women and 6% of adult men will have migraine. It may come on during childhood, or it more commonly starts after puberty. So during the teenage years and into the young 20s and young adulthood, 20s and 30s is when we most commonly see migraine start. And then it continues throughout the life, over the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, sometimes being the worst in those decades, which is very unfortunate because that's also when people are the busiest with work and family and many responsibilities. And then for many people, it tends to get better with age. So after the 50s into the decades of the 60s and the 70s and beyond, migraine tends to become less frequent, less severe, and many people will even stop having attacks.
2: Okay, so one of the things certainly I know that was important in the research you did was to try to come up with an idea of the impact on spouse, children, and the whole lifestyle of the family when there is an adult in the family suffering with migraine. What were the findings on that? Or can you give us a little bit of a sense of what you did come up with?
3: Absolutely. So that was the CAMEO study, Chronic Migraine Epidemiology and Outcome Study. We surveyed 13,000 people with migraine. And in that set of people, there were 4,000 people who were also married and nearly 3,000 who also had children. What we did was not only did we ask questions of the people with migraine, we actually sent questionnaires with their permission to their spouses and to their children. The children had to be 13 years of age or older just for um, reasons of, of, of consent. But we actually sent questionnaires right to their spouses and children to say, how does it affect your life to have? Have your mom or dad or your spouse be living with migraine. And we learned a lot. We learned that not only from the perspective of the person with migraine, but also the perspective of their children, and their, their spouses, that it has a, big impact on the family. People talked about little events like not being able to make dinner for their children or or drive their children to school in the morning due to a migraine attack. They talked about big events like missing out on a wedding or canceling a family vacation. They talked about not only missing things, but also being there, but not either really fully participating or not enjoying. So being on a family vacation, but being stuck in the room for half the time while the rest of the family was out on the beach. And so what they talked about missing out on life. They talked about not being able to commit to things, like not being able to say, yes, I will coach my ch- child's soccer team because you don't know how often you can be there and how many, how many practices and how many games you might miss. And then people really talked a lot about their feelings. They feel very guilty, especially as parents. They feel very sad. they feel angry and frustrated about how migraine has impacted their ability to be a good parent or to be a good spouse.
2: You know I have felt I have found that both of those, particularly the feeling of guilt um, that is Why can't I be at work? Why can't I be the kind of mother I want to be? And the other piece, which is, as one of your colleagues says, if you don't get migraine, you don't get migraine, which is the idea that no one really understands that it's real. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean I'm not suffering. So I'm wondering, given what you just said and the kind of things I've heard and certainly you've heard in your practice how would I feel optimistic about going
3: forward? How would I live well, given what I'm struggling with? Well, there's a bunch of reasons to feel optimistic, especially now more than ever. One is that we have a lot of treatments to offer people with migraine, including lifestyle changes that can make big positive impact, and including medications and non-medication treatments. So there's a lot of treatments available, more than ever before. In fact, there are whole new treatments that have recently come to the market in the past few years, and we're expecting some new treatments coming out in the next couple years. So this is a time of treatment options opening up. It's also a time when we have really started to learn and understand much more about the cause of migraine and how to manage it. We're understanding more than we ever did before. So in many ways, this is a time of hope and a time of optimism for people with migraine. Now the trick is, you have to talk to your doctor because, in order to get to most of these treatments, you need your doctor to give you a diagnosis, and you're going to either need the referrals or the the um, or the prescriptions to get to these treatments, and so I urge anyone who's living with migraine or who might be, if you have serious headache, if you ever feel sensitive to light or sound with your headache, if you ever feel nauseous with your headache... You probably have migraine, but you have to get that diagnosis. And in our research, we found that less than half the people who meet criteria for migraine have actually talked to a doctor or been diagnosed. So that's the first thing. I urge everyone to talk to their doctor about it if they're experiencing a serious headache, frequent headache, or very painful headache with any of these symptoms. So get out and get that, get that diagnosis. And then start learning about the various treatments. And there are some things that we can do which are entirely free and and, and don't even require drugs. So I mentioned that the person with migraine has a sensitive nervous system. So the best thing if you live with migraine is to keep a very regular, stable lifestyle. So that means getting enough sleep, Every day of the week, seven days a week, and trying to go to sleep and wake up at the same time seven days a week, and staying hydrated and keeping your blood sugar at good levels by eating regular nutritious meals, also getting regular exercise, and that doesn't have to be intense aerobic exercise, but moving, trying to move most days of the week to some extent, whatever is comfortable and and safe for you, and managing stress. Now, Suzanne, you know better than a lot of people, we can't always manage what happens to us, but we can change how we respond to it. So, right. of course, speaking from one psychologist to another, this is something we talk about a lot. We don't have a lot of control a lot of times over what goes on in life, but we can control how it makes us feel, and that's and that's where we want to work on our stress management. Now, all of those behaviors, all those actions help regulate our nervous system, and so even though it won't change the fact that that someone has a hyperexcitable nervous system, it might raise their threshold and they may not have that migraine attack. So that's Mm -hmm. something that we always want to encourage people to take extra good care of themselves. And if they take extra good care of themselves, um, they might not have that attack and they might not have to go through the really terrible debilitating experience of having the attack.
2: And on the, the most, other side, if the they mo-
3: do, we also have advice for how they can best live well and manage and care for their family with migraine. What are the most dramatic, I want us to get
2: to that too. One of the most dramatic things for me in reading some of your material, Dr. Buse, is when someone's treatment really isn't working and they then have contacted, gone to a center, and to see how once that's been really investigated, and they're given stress regulation, um, <clears throat> as I say, possibly a different medication, it is dramatic. The num how the numbers drop from the amount of migraine they've been suffering with to what happens when they really are thinking and working with folks who are really, you know, at the cutting edge of migraine treatment.
3: Yes, yes, absolutely. I would say if if someone hasn't, if they're really, you find that, that headaches are interfering in your life, please talk to your doctor. And if you have talked to your doctor or even gone to a neurologist and you feel like you need more, there are headache centers. So I work at the Montefiore Headache Center in New York City, and there are headache centers all across the country or headache experts all across the country and a good two good websites if you're looking for a headache expert doctor would be the American Migraine Foundation or the National Headache Foundation so AMF or NHF, they both have Find a Headache Expert Doctor site uh, searches right on their website. So Mm. I do encourage people to get that help because there are people who devote their life to treating headache, and they want to help, and they're out there. So I just encourage people to go, go talk to a headache expert doctor if you feel like you really need to.
2: You know, one of the things we're going to be doing in the next section is talking about actual behaviors for living well and responding to the family. But one of the things I know you've touched upon as as have your colleagues is actually speaking more with family members and asking them, as you did in the study, what is it you feel when I get the migraine? Uh, what is it you wish you could do? Or a child at being able to ask a parent, what would help you, Dad, when you have the migraine? In so much in terms of the trauma work I do, um, Dawn, we think that the family narrative that allows every family member to give voice to their worry, to their wish to help, really keeps suffering from becoming a secret that everyone is carrying in a painful way.
3: Absolutely. I think open conversation among family members is so important into making sure everyone is doing the best they can while one or more members of a family is is struggling with trying to live with migraine.
2: And we're going to take a break, but one of your colleagues, Paula Dumas, her Her site is called Migraine Again, and she literally lists questions that can be asked by and to family members, which is a wonderful gift. We're going to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're speaking with expert Dr. Dawn Buse, Director of Behavioral Medicine at the Montefiore Headache Center. We're talking about living well with migraine. Stay with us. We'll be back with Strategies. We'll be right back.
1: Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice
0: America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story?
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live.
2: Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking about living well with migraine with Dr. Dawn Buse, Director of Behavioral Medicine at Montefiore Headache Center. So, Dr. Buse, let's talk about, let's really translate the concerns and the impact into something we can do. What are some things that parents or the person suffering with migraine can do to really buffer the impact?
3: Well, I think this is so important to talk about because as parents we want to make the best life for our children that we can and we feel so sad, guilty, worried, and frustrated when anything limits us from doing that. But there are many ways that we can plan ahead and educate our children to make this as smooth a situation as possible for them when one parent or more does have migraine. So it's important to remember that for a child, seeing your parents suffering in any kind of way is very distressing, and it can lead to a lot of anxiety and insecurity. And so starting with education is important. And we want to make that the proper level for the child. So certainly if we're talking to a really little one, so I have a two-year-old, so if I'm talking Mm -hmm. to a two-year-old, I might say something like, sometimes mommy's head hurts and I have to lay down and rest in a dark room and leave it at that. Um, You also want to reassure that you will be fine, and so you might set some expectations saying, I may be laying down all afternoon, but I will see you before you go to bed, and I will feel better. I'm going to take my medication and rest, and I'll feel better. So reassuring the child and letting them know what to expect. If we're talking to a teenager, we're going to get into a more sophisticated description and understanding of migraines. So we may say something, now a teenager is going to know because that teenager's already lived with a parent for all of their life and they're going to have seen this before. But a teenager may want to understand a little bit more and to a teenager you may say something like my nervous system is, is very sensitive and so when things change either outside in the world or inside in my body it can trigger a migraine and a migraine is a painful headache in addition to other symptoms like sensitivity to light and sound and that's why I ask you to be quiet when I'm having a migraine and that's why I lay down in a dark our quiet room, and then again, we want to give the child anything that they can do to help because that's very empowering. When we're going through a difficult situation, people want to help, and we want to be able to let them help. So, to a very young child, we might want to say, "Why don't you lay down quietly next to me while I rest, and you can just read read me a book." And to a teenager, we might want to say. Could you bring me a cold washcloth and then could you give me a couple hours to nap and just make sure that you've got your lunch and you're all set and I'll check in with you in a couple hours. So different expectations, but giving everyone something they can do, bringing you a washcloth, bringing you a a glass of water, being quiet for a couple hours and letting them know they're helping makes everyone feel better. And that's not just for our children. That's for our spouses. That's for our parents. That's for everybody. Everyone wants Mm. to help. Help. So we want to think about asking for help and accepting help. Now, a lot of times we're not comfortable with asking for accepting or help. We're kind of all super parents, and we want to go it on our own and not bother anyone. But this is the time to accept help because not only is it going to help us get through the situation, the whole family is going to be doing better, and that help may come from. Yes, go ahead. Let me just flip
2: this around a moment, and that is it's come to my attention a few times that the teenager is the one suffering with the migraine, but they're not communicating it or they're trying and it's not being received in terms of really letting the adults around them be it the school personnel or family. That this is in fact migraine and this is not just I don't want to take the test and not just I can't play basketball. So what can we help our teens do or communicate when they in fact are the ones suffering from migraine?
3: That is a great question. Migraine often starts in the teenage years, and someone may not know their diagnosis yet. Or if they know their diagnosis, they may be embarrassed or ashamed, and they may not want to share it with teachers and friends and others. So the first thing is, if your teen is having severe headache with sensory delight or sound or nausea, it's probably migraine, especially if you've got a family history. Get in and get the diagnosis. Get the proper treatment lined up, which may be an acute medication that they take when they're having a headache and also maybe working with a psychologist like yourself or like myself to do a little biofeedback or stress management training. And then for all everyone in school whether it's a little kid all the way through college i like to talk to the office of disabilities or the nurse, or the principal. And I like to get a doctor's note at the beginning of the school year before a migraine ever happens. Get that in the file. Let the teachers know what to expect. Let the teachers know when a migraine attack happens, this person needs to be excused to take their medication. Perhaps there's a place at the school where they can lay down instead of going home. Get all of those plans in place before the migraine happens. So like you said, when a migraine happens during finals week, It's not a big surprise, and it's not just that, oh, this child doesn't want to take their final. Everyone already understands that this is a chronic medical disease that this person lives with, and here's the plan. So get the information out there early, get the doctor's note, and educate the teachers the principal the school nurse whomever you need to talk to to get that plan in place in advance and that's going to really help the teen do well both academically and also not to feel so stigmatized i also, also think there may when, be oh, go ahead. Well, i was going to say when there is a plan
2: in place and we can talk about the plan at home as well as in school I would imagine that there would be less worry, what if I have a migraine, what will I do? What will I I do if I have a migraine when I'm in the middle of class? If, in fact, the young person knows there is already a plan in place, I think we have a shot of reducing the stress that can only exacerbate the migraine.
3: Absolutely. There's so much worry and anxiety about the next attack. When's it going to happen? What's it going to interfere with? For children, teens, and adults, we all worry about when's the next attack going to happen. And having a plan in place, like you said, is going to be a reassurance that will help relax everybody and help everything run smoother. So I love that idea. And I would not I would say let's not even stop with our, our kids in school. I would say um, that adults who are working need to have that same kind of plan in place with their boss, their HR department. Now remember, migraine is a disease which makes it a um, protected medical issue. So you just need to get that doctor's note and talk to your HR department and work out the protections that you would need for a medical issue. And then a lot of times, if you can explain, whether it's to a teacher or principal or a boss, if you can say, if I can be excused to take my medication and sit in a dark, quiet space for a half an hour and take a break, I may be able to continue the work day or continue the school day as opposed to having go home. So any kind of situation you can work out for that kind of option where you can treat right away, take a little break, maybe even close your eyes, maybe even take a short nap might actually help miss less work or school. Mm-hmm. and It's terrific. I've also worked with patients about some of the specifics in their environment. Often the harsh fluorescent overhead lights that are in schools or in the offices can be really painful for patients and might even trigger an attack. And so something very simple like asking the boss, if you can turn that off, or uh, wearing, it might sound silly, but wearing a baseball hat in your office, if that's allowed, or there are glasses, which are not sunglasses, they're, pres- they're therapeutic prescriptive glasses with either a yellow or a rose-colored tint, which do filter out the painful light rays, and there's a couple places where you can buy them, um, Specs makes them, Axon Optics makes them, and Gunner glasses are the computer glasses. So there's a couple types out there which may be able to actually reduce the potential trigger of the painful light, and you can wear them at school and at work, during the workplace, and there may be things like that that you can change in your environment to make your environment less uh, potentially a trigger and more of a comfortable place. That's
2: wonderful information. Now, I saw with the same idea that you've written about parents and planning meals ahead, being ready to shift a plan. Maybe we can talk a little bit about planning for the migraine day. It's so funny. Whenever we plan for something, very often we don't have it, but
3: it seems to make a lot of sense to plan for it. That's true. That's true. Now, all of us humans and especially kids do well with routine. We like to know what's coming. We like to know what to expect. And so, to the greatest extent possible, we want to try to maintain routines in the household and in the daily plan. And so, having a chronic illness can be very disruptive. It can occur randomly, and it can make both planning and, and taking care of your family difficult. So, we want everyone to always have a plan B, a backup plan of someone who can help, someone who could do pickup or drop off driving, someone who could help with groceries, someone who could help with homework, whatever it needs be. And we also want to have a routine in place as much as possible so that if you do have that migraine day, things are already ready to go. So perhaps packing lunch the night before or even shopping for the whole week of lunches on Sunday and then you've got your whole week ready to go. Keeping your school supplies in your bag packed and by the front door every morning so that if mom does have a migraine that morning, kids are pretty much ready to go. And if someone's able to help get them off to the bus or drive, them to school, they're ready to go. And then as children get older, they can also be taught to participate more in chores and responsibilities themselves. And really, this is a very positive thing. It brings a lot of confidence in a child to learn a little bit of of their of how to navigate the world on their own and feel like they're helping in the family. So rather than this being a negative, the idea that they're given a little more responsibility can be seen as a positive thing, that they are developing some of these skills and some of this confidence that they can help out in the household when need be. You
2: know, one of the things that... Um, I, I really like wh- that I read in your work was to remind ourselves that children are resilient, they're adaptive, and we're the barometer. So in fact, if there's a routine, and if you have really let them know this is a part of your life, but it doesn't mean it keeps you from having a good life, we should never be worrying that this is going to scar
3: them permanently, because it's not. Absolutely. As parents, we worry so much about the well-being of our children. But having a parent go through any kind of medical chronic illness does not scar our children. In fact, as you mentioned, they are resilient and often this is an opportunity for them to learn some new skills and to develop their own confidence. So as much as we feel sad and guilty about how our illness may be impacting them, it doesn't have to be the case. We still want to focus on the good time together, the quality interactions, the special times, the fun times, and when those times are knocked out by a migraine day, then we want to go to our Plan B and try to remain as calm and well-balanced as possible, especially for the sake of our children. As you said, Mm -hmm. our children look to us as a barometer, and if we are really distressed and upset, they're going to see that, and that's going to increase their anxiety and their fear. So we want to model this calm coping behavior that, yes, this is painful, yes, the schedule is thrown off, and it's disruptive, but we have a plan and are going to get through this together.
2: The other thing that we've said already, but I want to underscore is we always say that any pain that is shared is divided. So it would be wonderful if a parent was able to say, what is it that worries you the most when you see that I have a migraine? Is there anything else about it that upsets you? Sometimes whenever we do family narratives, Dawn, we, the family members are startled. By what people have been worrying about, what they've not put words to, and the more people can talk about it, I think one of the questions that came up in one of the sites was the wife saying, would you have married me if you knew I had migraine? So, you know, it's so interesting to worry privately when there's the opportunity to share
3: more publicly with those you love. I think those are great conversation starters and you are so right Suzanne that that a children a child or a spouse may have all sorts of fears we don't even know they have so opening up that open conversation and as you mentioned on the website migraine again Paula Dumas listed some great conversation starters for families and for spouses and for parents and see what is the person worried about ask them are there things that they would like to do to help? Ask them, is there information they'd like you to share? Opening up those conversations is a really great idea for the well-being of everybody. Because there may be worries that they're having which you're able to just instill confidence and let them know, oh, that's not the case. I'm not I'm not going through, I. you know, this isn't hurting my brain permanently. Um, little children can worry that when they see a parent in that much pain that their parent is going to die. And mm-hmm. they need to reassure sure, that little child, this is something that comes from time to time, but dad will always be okay when this is over. Mom is fine. My brain is not being damaged, and I'll be back to being the mom you know by tomorrow. Um, those sorts of, of reassurances can be really, really helpful for children so that their anxiety levels don't get too high, and we've seen that happen where a child is so worried about a parent that it's affecting their school, affecting their friendships, affecting affecting their well-being. So we want to really try to make sure that our children are feeling as comfortable and confident uh, as possible by having all the knowledge and the information and and the positive information from us so that they can keep living their lives while we are living with migraines.
2: Right. We're going to take a brief break. I'm, I'm loving what you're saying. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Dawn Buse. She's the Director of Behavioral Medicine at the Montefiore Headache Center. We'll be back with some of the latest in the research and the treatments. Stay with us.
1: On Voice America Variety.
0: Would you like to be the change you see needed in the world? Are you ready to make a difference? If so, tune in to Voice for Truth with host Sharon Wyckoff. Every show will be filled with inspiring content to support you in recognizing your greatness. Guests will share their expertise, young people will tell how they are making a difference. You too can be a Voice for Truth. Listen live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time.
1: Time here on VoiceAmerica.com.
3: What makes a great leader?
1: Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Dawn Buse, and we've been talking about living well with migraine. Strategies, family impact, different types of treatment. And one of the things, Dr. Buse, that I know you write about and you've said is that There can be optimistic thinking and and an optimistic way of looking at life with migraine. Let us know what is coming into the field. What are we learning about in terms of other ways to lessen the pain, um, help us with migraines? Maybe share a little bit of that with our listeners.
3: Absolutely, Suzanne. This is a great time, actually, in both the understanding of migraine and the treatment of migraine. We have new treatments that have recently come to the market. We are researching new treatments and there will be a whole new set of treatments coming soon. So some of the things that we're researching is actually here at my center, the Montefiore Headache Center we're doing a study of mindfulness based cognitive therapy for migraine so anyone who lives around New York City, please check out our website if you'd like to join us. It's eight sessions of mindfulness and we're looking at the effect of that on not only migraine but also your quality of life In addition, some new additions to migraine treatment include neuromodulation, and this is a way to activate the nerves without actually taking a medication. You actually hold something outside of your body. There's a couple different ways. One is something that's worn on the forehead called a transcutaneous supraorbital neurostimulator called the cephaly. I think it looks a little bit like the, the... the uh, headband that Princess Leia wears and you wear it for 20 minutes and it stimulates the supraorbital nerve. There's also something that you can use for cluster headache, which is a very painful form of, of headache called a vagal nerve stimulator. You hold that to the vagal nerve in your neck. And we also have something for migraine with aura, which is a transcranial magnetic stimulation called the spring TMS. You hold that behind your head so those are some exciting new treatments in the field of migraine. Where and would then, a person
2: where would a person find out if their situation is suited
3: to the use of a neurostimulator? Well the best place is to start with your doctor. You can start with your primary care doctor and they may refer you to a neurologist or a headache specialist. But all of these actually are things that someone can purchase themselves and they're fairly reasonably priced. And so, a good place to get a lot of information is the American Migraine Foundation website. It's just full of information. So, look up uh, neuromodulation or neurostimulation, and you can start learning about some of these. Of course, the place that we usually start are the behavioral treatments, the cognitive behavioral therapy, biofeedback, and stress management, and then the acute therapies. Those are going to be the migraine-specific treatment you take when you have a headache, And then we've got some amazing developments in the preventive treatment side that we're excited about. So for the past 20, 30 years of prevention of migraine, which is taking a pill on a daily basis or or doing something in advance of having a migraine, we have used treatments that were really developed for other disease states, but we found that they helped with migraine. But for the first time ever, there's a whole new class of medications being developed specifically for the prevention of migraine. And you'll probably start hearing about these. And they're related to CGRP, which stands for calcitonin gene-related peptide. It's an amino acid produced by neurons in our bodies, and it's implicated in migraine pathogenesis, or how migraine happens. And CGRP is a type of protein which is very involved in pain, and we've known that for decades. Um, uh, we've only recently, in the past few years, really been developing these treatments specifically for migraine prevention. So, what happens is CGRP receptors bind to receptors that activate or kind of switch on many of the symptoms of migraine, including vasodilation. That's the expansion of the of the vessels inflammation and pain. And so currently there are five different companies developing different types of treatment using the same molecule. And we suspect by next year, by 2018, that the first one might be out on the market. And that is going to be something that would be by prescription and so someone would need to be working with a physician, and chances are you will probably need to have tried the other preventive approaches first. So if you haven't even tried a preventive treatment for migraine, now is a good time to talk to your doctor and see if you're a candidate. And to decide if you think you would benefit from a daily preventive migraine treatment or a, a once-a-month or once-every-three-month type of preventive migraine treatment, just ask yourself how many days a month, do you have migraine, and how much is interfering with work, school, and family life? And if you feel like Mm. it's really interfering with work, school, and family life, and that you may benefit from taking a daily preventive treatment for migraine, that's something you might want to do, then it's certainly worth talking to your doctor about. And you can start with your primary care doctor, or you can ask for a referral to a neurologist, or again, you can look on one of the websites I mentioned for finding a headache expert physician, and that would be either the National Headache Foundation or the American Migraine Foundation. They both have doctor searches on their website. and. Every link I've mentioned today is on my website as well, and my website is just my name, DawnBuse.com, D-A-W-N-B-U-S-E.com. So if you want to find a headache physician, I've got links there. If you want to find biofeedback, if you want to find cognitive behavioral therapy, if you want to find a psychologist, or to link to any of the organizations I've mentioned, they're all on my website. You just click click on the the one you're looking for, and it'll take you right to the right website. I also want
2: to mention to people that on that website are resources like guided imagery, uh, guided uh, meditation, and as Dawn is suggesting, it's a wealth of information so that you don't have to feel alone with all the possibilities that we mentioned today. That might be your first stop. And from there, you can possibly, whether it's find a doctor, whether it's explore one of these neurotransmitters, the use of biofeedback. I know we've spoken about the amazing impact of people learning to know when they're regulating stress and how important that's been for for, um, migraine. So that's a really valuable first step, uh, Dr. Buse's website. Um, And maybe repeat it again, Dr. Buse?
3: Yes, it's dawnbuse.com. D-A-W-N-B-U-S-E.com.
2: Now, in terms of all that you're saying, one thing that I read, so I'm going to bring it up, is that in education of family and patient education, one of the things you said is, how do you know if something's a red flag emergency? So I want to ask, what's a red flag emergency,
3: Dr. Buse? Well, anything that might be a secondary headache, and that means a headache that is caused by something else, such as perhaps a stroke or a brain tumor. And we use a mnemonic called SNOOP that stands for Serious neurologic condition, we're looking for something like the worst headache of your life, really worse than anything you've ever had before, Um, a sudden onset, we call it a a thunderclap headache, Um, potentially a, a loss of vision, a loss of the ability to move your arms or legs. Now, it's always a little bit tricky. You may need to work with a doctor to figure out now which of these is exactly due to the migraine because the migraine, if you have an aura, can cause a loss of vision. It can cause a loss of movement in part of your body. But any of these things, so SNOOP is the systemic systems. That's going to be um, high fever, big weight loss, serious muscle pain, a lot of vomiting, the um, change in mental function or cognition, a real deficit in ability for to remember or to talk, those could be an indication of a stroke or a mass in the brain that would probably come on pretty quickly. Again, that sudden onset, that thunderclap headache out of nowhere with very severe pain could be the sign of a stroke or a subanacroid hemorrhage. Um, older age of onset, if you've never had migraine or severe headache, and it first starts after age 50, that's worth checking with your doctor as well, because that can be a different type of headache um, called giant cell arteritis. That's something a little different. And just looking at your headache history, so if this headache is like all others, you um, and you've treated them and you've talked with your doctor, you're you're probably in the clear. But anything that seems different, worse, concerning, please seek medical attention immediately by either mm. going to the emergency department or even better yet, call 911 from your home. Because if you're having a real serious event, we want to get the help to you as quickly as possible. Thank you.
2: Okay, that that's wonderfully said. Um, Dr. Buse, if you had to say something very quick to our listeners, what would it be about living well with migraine?
3: It would be if you have severe headache with sensitivity to lighter sound and nausea, you probably have migraine, and talk to a doctor because we want to get you to that right diagnosis and the right treatments. Think about a healthy, regular lifestyle, and then talk to your doctor about the other treatment options because there's a lot of great opportunities these days and even more coming to get you really the best treatment to live life, the best life you want to live.
2: Thank you so much. Dr. Buse, I want to thank you for coming on to Psych Up Live and for all you do It to help people treat, manage, and live well with migraine. I really appreciate your show as a gift to us today.
3: Thank you, Suzanne. It's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed it.
2: Thanks so much. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this show and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, Website, the podcast app of iTunes, iPhone, Sketcher. This show will be a podcast by this evening, so if you didn't catch it live, there's plenty of opportunity to hear it. Remember to drop me a comment or question at RadioHostPhilips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week, please take care, live well, and be listening. Thank you.